Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Scott Schober. Scott is the CEO of BVS. We'll let Scott tell you exactly what that stands for and what he does. But Scott, welcome to the Tech and Main Presents podcast. Hey, great to be here with you. Look forward to a great conversation. Oh, same here, Scott. Same here. And so with that, why don't we jump right in to having you share your background with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. I've got kind of a strange, maybe unique background in that I've only had one job my entire life. It's a little strange sounding, but it's true. Really running a company right now, BVS Berkeley Viratronic Systems, as you introduced there, we're actually celebrating our 50th year in business and we're a family business. Yeah. So it's kind of unique. It was founded by my father 50 years ago. He's, He's still our CTO. He's retired, happily retired, hopefully with a fishing pole as we speak. But it's kind of neat because I grew up in the business. And what does that mean is it means I've done a little of everything. So back in, geez, probably sixth grade was the first time I really started officially working in the company. And my father gave me a bunch of keypads at the time that were broken. And he said, geez, if you could fix these and check polarity of a diode and resistance values and resolder them, so on and so forth, I'll give you a buck for each one you could fix. I said, great. Okay. I need a box of, I don't know, it was 500 plus of them at the time. And I was like, okay, let me roll my sleeves up and learn how to do this. He taught me how to do it. And I guess I was hooked ever since, but I've always been surrounded by technology, computers, robotics through my entire life and throughout the business as well. So it always kind of fascinated me. And I kind of look at myself more as a, a tech nerd, innovator, little mixture of everything. I got really into programming as a kid and especially games and maybe the hacker side of me. I started to getting into pirating games when I was young with my brother. For a couple of years, my father was brought into Atari and he was the uh, the VP of research out of New York City. Oh, wow. So what that, what that meant as kids, it was like, awesome. We got to play games 24-7, not get in trouble. And they actually hired us And in trade for all the soda and pizza we could eat and games we could play, we would actually debug the game. So we would stay up the late wee hours of the night playing Dig Dug and Centipede and Frogger, all the different games before they were released to the public. And we would have a pad next to us and write down on the 30th screen when you move the joystick up this way and press the button, the screen would would do this or freeze up or whatever. And it was kind of exciting to actually be part of something as a kid. Of course, in the process of that, we wanted to amass more games than anyone else on, in the world, my brother and I. So for the Atari, for the Apple and every computer system out there, we just started copying games, game cartridges, floppy disks. We started going on online. Actually, this is really pre-internet days. And uh, we'd go to these bulletin board systems and try to hack in, get through the password and the system operator and start copying our brains away and trading games. We didn't do it for monetary gain, just to qualify. It's a little different than traditional cyber criminals or hackers when they cross the line and maybe they're black hat or whatever. So I, I kind of say we were like white hats back then. We had a great time. And I think just being surrounded by that 
world of technology lets you be creative. And hopefully that same excitement and creativity allows me to run a business now where we're creative and designing innovative products that combat problems in the world of cybersecurity and wireless security. So that's kind of in a nutshell, what brings me up to now running the company where we're about 25 engineers really working for some of the, the biggest companies in the world and a lot of US DOD agencies. Scott, that is such a phenomenal background. And there's a couple of strings that I want to pull on. One being the fact that this is a family business, mm -hmm. right? And so we very rarely get to have someone like yourself who, as you said, you kind of grew up in the business, right? So there's so there's that aspect that I want you to elaborate on a little more. And you mentioned your brother. Mm -hmm. You and your brother grew up, I'm assuming coming up together as, as yeah. dad was running things. Is your brother involved in the business today? Yeah, yeah, great question. Actually, he is. He, he's a partner in the business. He focuses more on what I call the creative side, be it uh, video, editing, uh, website design and all of that. So he really helps there in a lot of the graphic art design for our products and things, the, the look and the feel, I guess you could say. I okay. tend to focus okay. a little more on the techie side. So it actually is a nice balance. We complement one another, I think. And, and, and it's also funny because I'm on the East Coast. He moved out to the West Coast. So he's a partner and we actually do a, we were talking a little earlier before this interview, one of our podcasts, I came up with this idea. I said, geez, we should do something from your perspective on the West Coast, my perspective on the East Coast. Let's call it Cyber Coast to Coast. And that's what we do. So each week we have an hour long show and, and we kind of go back and forth. And it's interesting because we work together. We grew up together and we both are kind of into techie stuff and video and cyber. So it allows us to each have our own opinion. And sometimes they're at conflict, which makes for good kind of radio and podcast and everything else. So we're not always in agreement because we approach things so differently. But I, I like that fact because it really helps us from a podcast perspective, but also from a business perspective. And then also from the, the standpoint, we're related. So it, it kind of makes a great mix. And, and the same parallel I've, I've kind of noticed when I wrote my first book is back in 2016. Our, our, the short of it, our company was targeted we were hacked and it was credit card, debit card, Twitter account. We received repeated DDoS attacks. We finally had uh, $65,000 stolen out of our checking account as a business, became oh federal gracious. investigation. It, it was a mess. But the, in the process of that, I learned so many things. And, and, and then when the story kind of broke, it, it went public. I was embarrassed. I was nervous. Here we are as a wireless security company focusing on cyber. And here we are, we're targeted and attacked by notorious hackers. What's wrong with me? But it helped me to appreciate, I have a story to tell and I've made mistakes and I need to be able to share those with other business owners so they don't go down the same path that I make. But in the process of that, bringing back my brother into the conversation, I struggled writing a book and it took me two years to write the book, Hacked Again, to tell my story. And as I was going through my frustration, I would bounce a chapter off him and he'd come back and say, try this or try that. And it was really nice because in a sense, working in the business, growing up with him, he was kind of in my head. He saw it from a slightly different vantage point, but he understood what I was trying to say that I really wasn't able to get down pen to paper per se. So I always encourage people, if you're going to write a book, 
work with somebody or partner with somebody that kind of thinks like you do or can contrast your, your strengths and weaknesses to help you. So book number two, cybersecurity is everybody's business that came a couple of years later. I asked him, would he be a co-author with me? And, and sure enough, he rolled up his sleeves, dove in, and I think helped produce an even better book that allowed me to dig in and tell the story a little bit further about some things and, and the breaches and the problems that everybody deals with from a small business owner's perspective. And then it was a natural for our third book. I, I wanted to create something that was unique, tailored toward a senior audience because some of the stuff I was dealing with with aging parents. My grandfather was 99 years old, struggling with technology, the internet, and, and being the victim of several scams and cyber attacks. And I said, Craig, I said, I said, do you, you want to help me co-author this book, uh, Senior Cyber? And he said, yeah, let's do it. And, and we, we released the third book together. And I, I think it just really, it, it works out beautifully when you work with somebody else like that, that has a similar mindset, yet complements you on your weaknesses and, and vice versa. So I just encourage people, if you're thinking about number one, writing a book, don't hesitate, do it. You got to have a good story to tell but you got to get some help, somebody that knows how to, to, to think and parallel your thoughts a little bit and help you improve the craft of writing. It really, writing a book helped me realize how bad of a writer I am and how much improvement I need to get and how much more I need to learn. And yeah, I, I took creative writing in, in, in college, and but you don't know how to write a book until you write a book and then you write a second book and write a third. Now we're working on book number four, Teen Cyber. And I've got some other projects started too, as far as writing with, with some privacy and some other topics that we're really delving into. So a lot more on the writing front is going to come out in the next couple of years, but it, it's a great way to get what's up here into other people's hands so they can rip you apart. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what I always like to hear when you, when you hear, and you probably like it too, as, as a podcast host, not everyone's going to love your show. And, and that's true. okay. And the same with me. If I do a TV interview or radio or write a book or a blog or a podcast, a great show like this, you know what? Everybody doesn't have to agree with my opinion or your opinion. The feedback is what's valuable though, because it allows you to maybe think of it from somebody else's perspective and hearing different ideas and, and just, you know, bring that all in. It's going to make me a better writer, a better host, a better podcast, a better TV interview, whatever the case may be. So I always tell people, bring it on. If you don't like what I want to say, that's okay. I hope I can, I can at least learn from you and you can learn something from me and make this world a better place. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. So Scott, you've, um, you've taken me down yet another rabbit trail. And, okay. and, and this one, this one's, around the comment that you made about the content that we create and whether or not people like it. I find it so disingenuous when I'm listening to a podcast and either at the beginning in the, in the intro or right at the end, the, the, the host will say, thanks for listening to XYZ podcast. You know, be sure to leave us five stars on Apple or Google or whatever. Mm -hmm. And really that's, that's always struck a nerve with me because I'm like, I wouldn't want that five star review if the person didn't mean it. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and I, and I know, and I won't call any podcasting companies or podcasting series out, but I'm just, I'm wondering that, that five out of five, you know, on Apple podcast, is that really sincere? Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You make a great point. And in fact, 
I approach it this way. A lot of people always tell me, Scott, you don't ask people to, you know, rate my podcast or give me this many stars. And I said, well, I said, that's up to them. I said, I don't deserve five stars unless I deliver. I said, let, let it motivate them. Let, if they learn something from it, if they get a tip, if they think about something differently, if I educate or inspire, okay, and they feel it's good, let them be. Same thing with book reviews. Same thing. You, you Honestly, you can buy a book review. You can buy a podcast rating. You can buy followers these days. A lot of it is, I think, unfortunately, perception can be created very quickly. So if you're not authentic in the real deal, eventually it's going to come through. So to me, I, I may not have as many five-star ratings on my podcasts or, or, or these comments or followers. And, and you know, part of it is honestly, I don't care. That's not why I'm doing it. Right, don't, right. If you get that along the way and that's gravy and you feel good, hey, thank you. Not that I don't appreciate it. I love it. I, I think it's wonderful. But more important, if you have a good craft, you're a great host like you drawing people out and asking the tough questions and kind of getting the, the audience excited. That's more important about it. If you do your job, you're going to get the five stars. That's that. That's the beauty of it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why you, you want it to come from a sincere, authentic place, not this contrived, Hey, this helps us get more ratings on the da, 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 da. Listen, the, the people that appreciate you will let you know. And even if they do, that's not why you're doing what you do in the first place, right? Or at least it, it, it shouldn't be. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave that there. But I do want to pick up on another thing that you mentioned, and that is your first book identified the fact that you were the victim of mm -hmm. a cyber attack. There's a episode that I did recently, Tony Moore, he is the chief information officer for Prairie View A&M University down in the Houston area of Texas. Mm -hmm. And when I interviewed him, there's a, a question that I typically ask, and it's something along the lines of what major issue have you faced or what major issue are, what major issues are your clients facing? And Tony jumped right in and he said, well, I'll share about the um, ransomware attack that we had a few months ago. Scott, Tony took us soup to nuts through what happened, right? And then we were able to dig into the fact that, you know, the ransomware attack took place during Snowmageddon when mm -hmm. Texas was without power for several days in the middle of the pandemic, right? And yeah, just it was the, the, the perfect storm of the worst time for anything like that to happen. And he was just very transparent. Right? Yeah. And and I and I'm not even gonna use this word lightly, but I I love Tony for doing that, right? Not 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 from a content standpoint, right? But but from a I am not going to hide behind something terrible that has happened. It's it's very possible that you may experience something like this in your own business, your own organization, right? And then just being able to, you know, hey, here's how we dealt with it, right? So the fact that you wrote the book, kind of putting yourself out there, man, kudos to you for doing it. Yeah, thank you. And I was torn, honestly. I shouldn't have been in hindsight looking back on it because it was the right thing to do. 
because it helped a lot of people. Maybe not myself as much as others, but that's okay. I've gotten more feedback and comments from companies. And, and I'm talking, this, this was 2016 when Hacked Again came out. Interestingly enough, I will still get, you kind of create a little fan buzz out there. I'll still get emails from, from colleagues, clients, and friends, pictures of people in the street, and they've got a Hacked Again t-shirt. I have one colleague and he's down in Florida and it's, I think it's happened twice so far. He'll send me a picture. He says, you won't believe this. I'm down in Florida, just on vacation. I see a guy getting out of a car and he's got a hacked again t-shirt and I yell out the window, Hey man, great book. And and they talk back and forth and he shares yeah, the feedback. Yeah. So it makes you feel good that people are, that they're buying books. Yeah. We, we like to sell books. That's great. But that's not what it's about. We're educating. We're helping people to learn to be safer and, we're, we're kind of working together. The good guys working against the cyber criminals. That's nice to see. And everybody staying united and working together toward a common cause. It's just a beautiful thing. And I think that's one thing that, that Hacked Again has done for myself, my first book. It's taught me a lot of things and it's given me the ability to do so many more things. I, I never thought of myself as a presenter, but now I'm hired to go and give a keynote. And yeah, you, you, you make a a handsome dollar doing it and you appreciate that. But the focus is you're again, you're, you're connecting with an audience, right? That's right. exciting. Those, but, but I wouldn't have been able to do that. I don't think if I didn't write the first book. So what it's all the unknown things that it leads to that opens the door up and, and same for maybe uh, TV shows. I, I I've done, I, I counted at one point a couple of years ago, well over a thousand interviews. Oh, and wow. it seems like a lot, and it is. And, and it's not always planned. Like today I came in this morning, I got an email. Hey, could you weigh in? We want to do an interview and, and get some sound bites from you for a, a, a segment going on the air at 5 p.m. tonight. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. I got a mini studio I set up and I jump in, throw the suit on, do an interview. So my week and my day is constantly changing and evolving. And it's the unknown. Not knowing what you're going to do from day to day to me is exciting. I don't say I'm going to go in and you know, got to write some checks and pay some bills. I got to do those things in between stuff. Sure. Sure. But it's exciting not to know exactly that your day is so defined where you're kind of a, a slave to your job. And I think that that's, that's important for people that are looking for a career, whatever. I don't, I don't always say go dive into cybersecurity. If there's interest there and excitement, go for it. But whatever your career is, find something that's more of your hobby that you're excited to do, that gets your juices flowing, right. then you're going to really succeed. And, and don't go for money. Go for what your passion is. Eventually, you'll probably make more money. You'll do well, but you'll, you'll leave at night feeling like you've achieved something and you're happier. That's what's important. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And so, Scott, I want to give you a chance, though, to, to brag a little bit more on BVS and you know, sure. highlight some of the things that you guys are doing. And so the, the first thing I would ask is when a client approaches you, what are what are some of the things that they're dealing with that they're looking for help with? Wow. A company that has done such diverse work, it spans a pretty wide swath, I would say. So I'll share a couple success stories maybe that I'm personally you know, really appreciate that kind of touches my heartstrings to show you some of the diversity. Most of our stuff does center around 
I call it wireless threat detection tools. So really where wireless security intersects cybersecurity, we're at that crossroads. That's kind of a, a strange way to define it, but these are all self-created terms and titles and things. So I can't be wrong. We made it up. For example, here's one to start with. A number of years ago, and this goes back, the, the story goes back to 2008. Tragedy happened in California, train crash. And 25 people died. I think it was out of Chatsworth, California, if I'm right. A number of years later, company approaches us out of LA and says, hey, Scott, we see you guys got expertise in developing receivers and technology and do a lot of stuff with safety, blah, blah, blah. Could you come out here? We want to see if you could design something for us to keep trains safe on, 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 the, on the track so operators don't get distracted by mobile phones and texting. Okay, sure came out, met with them, came back. Our wheels are spinning. We worked on it on and off for a good, almost two years. I went back there several times, demo, prototype, pilot, sold nothing. I never gave up on it. A couple of years, kept going on, improved the technology, improved the technology. Another company, again, same industry, rail, but not passenger rail this time. Instead, it was locomotives. Approached us and said, hey, we heard you guys have expertise and blah, blah, blah. Do you have a product that could help us slightly different? I said, yeah, I think we do, but it needs a little polishing. Let's blow the dust off and get this thing finished. Started work on it. Took another about two years and they bought about 50 systems. And it was basically a cell detection engine where we created a hardware device that scanned and looked at all the different cellular frequencies that our mobile phones transmit at. And we developed an algorithm so we could simply trigger on that and then when we trigger, it, it takes the camera and DVR and records the person. So if you have a operator of a train, they pull up their phone and they're texting, that's dangerous because they're not focused on the tracks. They could crash a train, chemical explosion, whatever, killing hundreds of thousands of people, so on and so forth. Any event, little did I know what it would lead to. And, and we've now sold since that date, I've counted over 20,000 of our little cell detection engines that are on almost all the locomotives throughout the United States, keeping operators from getting distracted using their mobile phone. Tremendous success. All again, started out with an idea. Can you do this and never giving up? And that's really the, the point of the story, I think, is when somebody approaches you and it could be any point in your life and everybody around you, all the naysayers say, this can't be done. And I had a lot of that can't be done. No one else has it. Well, just because no other company has, it doesn't mean it can't be done. Maybe it's too expensive, too hard to do, or they haven't found a way to do it. So we rolled up our sleeves and kept working until we found the best way to do it. And then it took off and we still sell it to this day. If you can imagine, we're selling thousands of these. It's kind of our bread and butter as a business, a little tiny company in Metuchen, New Jersey, selling security and safety tools to keep training operators from getting distracted. I think that's pretty cool. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that, that is, that is actually way cool. And you've, you've, you've got me smiling, going down memory lane. Share this quickly. So my um, second job out of college was for General Motors when they owned the locomotive group out of suburban Chicago in mm -hmm, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, I worked in their customer assistance slash 
aftermarket parts group. Long story short, that was when I fell in love with, and I think they're still called class one railroad operators. Mm -hmm. So, you know, CSX, and this is like way back in the day, a Conrail before it got, you know, broken up into CSX and Norfolk Southern. But yeah, I remember actually going out to the rail yard for Conrail in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And Mm -hmm. when I tell you that was the coolest thing, Scott, oh my gosh, man. Yeah. I I mean, just a a rail yard the size of several football fields, right? And yeah, just that I will, I will always, yeah, that memory and yeah, just those times. So yeah, when you said, yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. So I'm amazed and at least watching the repair, some of the facilities where they lift a train in the air and they're pulling the axles and this and that and installing technology. And what, what it helped me appreciate too, how expensive and difficult and timing and logistics it is when you're running a rail yard, when, when they outfit the locomotives with our technology, and by the way, our, our technology is traditionally covert. So in other words, nobody sees it. The operators don't see it. So right. what does that mean? They got a special crew that comes in at night and is carefully pulling the headliners, hiding the wires, doing some things so it can't be sabotaged. I probably shouldn't say all this, but it, it's interesting because it takes a lot of money and a lot of effort and a lot of timing. So a lot of our, our shipments had to be carefully timed and planned, not just for when you're going to ship it. We're talking a year or two years ahead of time. It's that carefully timed. Now you can imagine that the day that we live in today with the disaster of supply chain, logistics, COVID, you, you've got electronic component shortages in the world. I mean, th- these type of things can cause real havoc to an industry such as rail and many other industries. Right. I, I feel their pain when I talk to them sometimes and, and we have to do our best to keep the flow going. And in fact, even during the pandemic in the beginning, when businesses were shutting down, We've got letters in it said, no, no, you're a critical supplier. You cannot close. And I'm like, what? But how am I going to keep our operation running with all this going on? So we got it hit from the rail segment as well as our critical uh, customers in the USDOD segment. We're supplying wireless threat detection tools. So both camps are screaming to us, you cannot stop working. You can't close. In fact, if anything, our business increased. Oh, wow. That made it really challenging on top of that when employees got problems with COVID and got stuck in other countries, when people got sick, when people couldn't come in to visit us, when we couldn't do trade shows and meet with customers. So yeah, it it was been interesting the last two years as far as business, but the cool part about it, we survived it. It made us a tougher company. And I think that's, what's really important for all of us. We become stronger. We become better when adversity gets in front of us. And we're told, you can't do this. Guess what? We're going to find a way to do it and, and we'll do it even better and we'll survive and be stronger for it. Well, Scott, that is, um, that is such a fantastic story. And just the fact that, I mean, it just, it gets right down to that good old American stick to right? We were told no, our backs are against the wall. I mean, it's, it's, I'm hearing like the Rocky theme in my head, man. It's like true classic story of you, you're, you're told you can't do it. It's a down and out situation, et cetera, et cetera. And you at some point just stop and say, okay, I've heard enough. No's let's go figure this thing out. 
right? And then you 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 grind and move and grind and move until you come up with the solution, right? And so I had no idea that I would be talking to you today about your work in the rail industry that then flipped me back 20 years, 20 plus mm-hmm. years ago now, gosh, to when I was working with Conrail and CSX and they'd call frantic unit 242 is down, right? <laughs> and and the thing that I remember they always drilled in our head is, you know, it said, think about it in dollars, right? Oh, These yeah. customers are calling, right? They are losing millions of dollars per day with this unit being out of service. So go find what they're looking for, whether it was Glendive, Montana or San Diego or wherever. They're like, just find it for them. So yeah, that's, that's amazing, man. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it's an exciting industry, I have to say. It's it's cutting edge in some ways because all the sensors on trains now, the feedback they can get and things could be done real time versus the old days of rail. But to me, it was exciting to dip our toes into a new industry. And and you kind of you kind of have to be part of it. It's like an old boys club. You get into rail. You have sure, to kind of sure. be invited and prove your we had to prove ourselves. It took time. It took money. You have to invest in it. In, in knowledge and the way they do things and adapt and learn. I think that's true with most businesses. And as a company, we've had to do that. And I've learned a lot of times it's about, it's about your people training, encouraging, inspiring them to, to do things, but constantly pivoting. If you, if we were the company we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago, we'd be out of business. So you have to always be looking ahead and be willing to adjust and adapt and I think that that's the success of a company. If you're, if you just rest upon success of the past, which is easy to do. Don't get me wrong. My, my father has done some incredible things in this company that I probably couldn't match. Honestly, I've had to approach things differently and use the talents and knowledge I have to keep the company going and reinvent ourselves or pivot from different times. The part that I find fascinating when I talk about being a small business owner, being a business 50 years and so on and so forth is in those 50 years, we've never gone to a bank to borrow money. And it doesn't mean that we're sitting here shoveling cash. I wish I could say that. It means you have to find a way to work harder, work smarter continually. And as you mentioned, you grind through it. You, we've had problems where I'm like, there is no way we're going to be able to solve this. Guess what? That means you got to go, go, go away from it. get away from the problem, clear your head, go pray about it, think about it, come back with renewed energy and try to find the solution because it's out there, but it takes some time and takes some work. And with enough determination, you, you could pretty much do things that you thought are truly impossible. And I think that's kind of the exciting part. When I talk to other business owners, when I talk to other authors, when I talk to innovators, doesn't matter. There's a common commonality there. You just don't give up and, and, you, and you believe in the idea. You believe in the people, believe in the team, and then you can accomplish amazing things. Oh, agreed, Scott. Agreed. All right. So, Scott, we're at the point in our time together where we'd like to get to know a little bit more about you. And so sure. why don't we find out? Scott, what is your favorite musician or band? Favorite musician or band? Wow. I've got a lot of them. I, I really like, I love music. 
my kids will tell you I, I'm always got the music on and singing and driving them insane, especially a lot of 80s music. But I, I'd say a standout. I love Chicago. Went to see them many times. In fact, one time I was actually at a trade show. It was kind of fun. And we got invited to a private party. And somebody said, hey, we can't make a party tonight. I'm not feeling well. Here's a couple tickets. Would you like to go? And this was in California. I said, sure. And they said, oh, by the way, there's a band there. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Chicago. And I'm like, Chicago. I love Chicago. My father loves Chicago. I said, yeah, we're going to go. You betcha. And not only did we get to go, we found out that it was only like 200 people invited to this exclusive party. We were standing there and one foot away, you could touch the members of the band and the brass and everything else and talk to them. And everything. I was like, this is a, like a dream in a lifetime. I'd never get to do this again. It was really fascinating. I like Billy Joel a lot. I saw him pre-pandemic and then a, a whole bunch of times before that. And I plan to go back again now that he's playing again. Lot, lots of different bands, lots of different musicians that kind of helped me. I, for, for a short period of time, I actually started to learn to play the piano and the keyboard. I was getting into it okay. a number of years ago and realized that I really stink at it. But it was a nice challenge and it was fun. And, and I think sometimes that helps you appreciate music and the hard work it is to be somebody in any aspect of, of the field of music. I don't know if I'd want to be in there as far as a career, but I see the creativity that people have. And it, it really amazes me. I don't think I could do it myself, but I really appreciate it more so, especially once I started taking lessons and trying to learn. Fascinating. Oh, that's, that's good stuff. So you, you, you hit on a couple of my favorites, Scott. Yeah. A Saturday in the Park, favorite Chicago song, and Billy Joel. Man, he has way too many hits to name. Yeah. But my favorite is Uptown Girl. And little known fact, he was married to Christy Brinkley, or actually they were dating, I think, at the time that they shot that um, video for Uptown Girl. So, yeah, just... Yeah, um, cool stuff. Yeah, man. The history. Yeah. I always like to learn the history behind a song or a video and you never knew it. Maybe you grew up and knowing the song and later on you learn about it and it's kind of exciting. Then you say, wow, there's a cool story behind that that helped them create it. Yeah. 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 No, that's uh, yeah. Two, two of my favorites there. So good, good stuff. How about a favorite hobby or path? Wow. It, it, it used to be video games. And I think I've, I've passed the baton on to my son, who's now a game addict in the world of Xbox and all the games and stuff. So, and I don't play a whole lot of video games, although I do collect some old vintage. I like I have a centipede actual stand up arcade machine I fixed oh, up. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I also have in my office here a cocktail table version of the centipede, the original arcade game. And it's more of a collector's thing and fun to play, but I don't really play games that much anymore. Um, really hobbies. I've been kind of funny all my life. I've always enjoyed off-road things. I loved cars, too many sports cars, quads, dirt bikes, dune buggies. I had all that stuff and loved it. And now I kind of pivoted as I'm getting a little older since I turned 50. And now I'm getting into boats a little bit, which sounds weird. But I've been taking up sailing, have a sailboat, really enjoy it. I have a cabin on a lake. It's actually on an island and really enjoy sailing with my kids. And then I just recently purchased a pontoon boat and I was actually on it yesterday in the freezing cold 40 degree weather, but um, learning to enjoy boating in the lake a little bit more because often um, when I was up there in the past X number of years, I'm always writing and on the computer and doing 
stuff. And now I'm right, trying right. to get away from doing too much stuff from work and enjoy the outdoors a little bit more, especially with the family. And, and I'm enjoying that as, as far as a hobby. Okay. Well, that's, that's a, that's a good one for sure. How about a favorite place to visit on vacation? Wow. It's funny. Cause my daughter actually gave us a PowerPoint presentation of our next family vacation. And I think we're going to be going to Bermuda. I've been there maybe three, four times. Love it. But I, lo I love islands. I love warm weather. I've, I've loved travel around the world. So I'm always traveling, but love just going up to our cabin, even just to the lake that that's enjoyable. I'm looking forward to going back to Europe and, and somewhere warmer because it was a rough winter here in New Jersey. I thought this winter. So yeah, any, anywhere and everywhere. I, I'm, I'm happy as long as I'm traveling and going on vacation. Don't do enough of it. I am going out to San Francisco at RSA show first week of June. So I look forward to that. I do a fair amount of traveling aside from the pandemic, things calm down a little bit and speaking engagements and stuff, but even more so fun when I'm traveling with the family and the kids. It's great. Oh, that, that is fun. That's definitely fun. All right. So Scott, let me ask you this question. What teacher at any level has had the greatest impact? Oh, one that stands out and it kind of ties in funny to the book. And I always bring up this, I've, I've spoken in a couple book events and I share this, but at one point early on going for undergraduate studies in college, I decided to take an elective creative writing. Ironic now that I think back on it. And when I got to the class, I was very intimidated. I walked in and here there were about 30 women in the class. I was the only guy. And I was like, uh oh, and these were all writers and they knew what they're doing. And I knew squat. And I'm like, I am in trouble. And professor walks in and funny looking guy. And he was nervous because this was the first year that he was required to use computers for writing. So he just kind of asked out to the class, is anybody familiar with computers? And all the girls are laughing like, no, 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 I'm a writer. I don't, and I kind of sheepishly raised my hand in the back. I said, well, I know computers. I'm getting my degree in com computer science. I'm kind of a computer geek. So he pulled me up and took me aside and said, Scott, he goes, I'm a writer. I don't know how to use computers, how to use computers. You're not a writer. I'll tell you what, you're going to ace this course. If you take care of these ladies and you help them with the computers, I'll teach you how to write a little bit and you'll do well. And I said, all right. And we had a great time and it was a fun class. And I, and I actually did to learn how to write a little bit, but I spent a lot of time helping them. Here's how to turn a computer on and here's what this prompt means. And Here's how to load this file and save it, so on and so forth. So it was really, really a, a standout moment, maybe in, in uh, a teacher that actually had impact to take interest in me and vice versa. Oh, that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. Were you ever able to stay in contact with that professor? No, I haven't. Although I do hate to say this at the time, he was extremely senior, this professor. Okay. So I believe he's passed away way, way back in uh, number of years ago okay all right yeah. a cool no guy he was, he was really fun oh but at least you have that that wonderful have a great memory yeah yeah yeah, yeah i did and did i have to say i was not a a student per se a, a great i wasn't a top a student and i struggled through college my younger brother's partner three years younger than me he he did very well at school things came natural to him and i have an older sister two years older and she was she was a hard worker in school she excelled in school she went on to get her her master's master's plus 30 and then became a, a school teacher and still teaches to this day and 
some people are really good at school and, and I'm not, I am not a star student. I had to really work hard to get through things and I did learn a lot, but it just didn't come natural to me, which is kind of interesting. I think I fall more under the innovator entrepreneurial side. I am not a, a textbook student per se. I kind of go against the grain maybe. So it, I, it was hard for me and um, I'm glad I did it. And I had the privilege of also going to, to graduate studies at NYU, which is really hard, but really rewarding and really fun. And I learned a ton of things at NYU too. And, and I think it's important for everybody to realize everybody's not a student and, and you have to go with what you're good with and, and learn. I had to learn how to take a test and do well. I had to learn how to study those those skills, I think, in college helped me later on in life in running a business because I didn't know those things. I was very shy. I couldn't get in front of an audience. I couldn't speak in front of people or a classroom. Now here I am. People are paying me to get up in front of tens of thousands of people to speak or I couldn't write. And here I am working on my fourth book and people are buying it. Like to me, that, that tells me that anybody can do if I can do it. There are people that are far more gifted, far more intelligent, far better writers, far better speakers. Anybody can do it. It just takes discipline and effort if you want to succeed at things in life. Oh, so Scott, as I'm listening to you, I don't know, sometimes I, 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 I think and process in, in songs, right? And so mm -hmm. the, the song that's playing in my head right now is the theme from the greatest American superhero. Okay. Look what has happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. It should have been somebody else, right? And it's yep. like, believe it or not, it's and and Scott, I think and what you shared is so profound, right? Because you really do have to find your fit. It's it's so imperative that you don't and you and you have siblings, right? And so you like my younger brother is more on the creative side, right? Your your older sister, you know, and she's an educator and, and has done that for a number of years. And so, and you, you, you had to find that though, right? Yeah. And inside of a family or outside, we, we all need to find our fit and we can't compare ourselves to Scott and what Scott does. And we can't compare ourselves to your brother and the, you know, the, the right brain stuff that he's doing. Like mm -hmm. You just, you have to find your fit, be comfortable in your skin. And as you alluded to earlier, find that passion and, and don't think about the money or the accolades and the fame that will come. Right. But find your fit and find something that you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so true. And, and it'll allow you to then not just have a job or career, but it'll, it'll give you a sense of purpose. And I think in that process, it's more the, the teaching and helping others, the learning that you're doing and making a difference. I, I found at least in our business, I'm, I'm very blessed with the fact that some of the products that we have sold have saved people's lives. They've made a difference. And I'll, I'll share one brief story because I don't want to take up your time, but we've developed one product Last year, I got an email and it hit the presses. We, we developed a little product, a cell phone detector. It was used in the French Alps 
during an avalanche or immediately after an avalanche, a family was the victim of an avalanche. The father ended up getting trapped. They couldn't find him. Panic ensued. They got 140 people in this little French town, started trying to dig and find this guy before he died. They take poles out. They dig. They brought dogs in to sniff, couldn't find him. One of the search and rescue workers ran into his vehicle and pulled out our tool, little wolfhound, it's called, which picks up on a transmitting cell phone signal. And they all walked past this area where the man was actually trapped and kept moving on at the base of the mountain. This man took out our Wolfhound Pro, lit it up, and very quickly, in a matter of minutes, picked up on a cell phone beeping. And he said, guys, come on back here. I picked up on a cell phone here underneath the snowpack. They started digging two and a half meters down. This man was trapped. He had some broken bones and ribs and this and that, but he survived it. And he was oh just about out of oxygen because you can only be under snow so much where you can't breathe. Right. So it was just, and, and they, they dubbed it. The Wolfhound pro is like a miracle tool that saved this man's life. And I was like, what all our hard work and effort. It wasn't the intent of designing tool. It happened to right. be picked right. up by search and rescue guys later on and had some level of success. Now it has got tremendous success in that it saved somebody's life. And to me, that's like just just like the the ultimate. And now it's featured in TV shows. You see our product actually seen on TV, which is kind of awesome. I was tuning into an episode. I don't know if you watch any of the shows, but like the Chicago Fire, Chicago Police, and Chicago Med. Where right. We're on Chicago Police. Our unit is on top of the top of the roof. They're using it to hunt down a bad guy with cell phones, and it's kind of exciting to see your tools on TV even though it's not the way they're normally used. It's fun though, but it makes it exciting. And people are calling me up afterwards going, Scott, do you know your tools on TV? Can you believe this? And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty neat. Right. So just seeing some, some level of not just success, but making a difference, affecting people's lives. That's just golden. You, you can't beat that. There's not a price you could put on that. Obviously it helps with sales and success and, and building upon that. But at the end of the day, it makes you feel good. And that's important too. Yeah. And, and, and Scott, that's, man, honestly, I think a, a great place to, to end our time together. I mean, it's, and well, one, I'm going to have to have you back. So that's the first thing because Absolutely. you are, you're just a good egg. And <laughs> I, I love talking to you. I love listening to you. I mean, there, there's probably six or seven different rabbit trails that we could have gone oh, sure. on beyond the ones that we went down. And so we'll definitely have to have you back. But man, before we let you go, what is the best way for people to get in contact with you, you know, follow you on social media? It's Oh, sure. Yeah. And I, I do have a whole bunch of accounts. I'm pretty active on social media in the world of the Twitter. I like LinkedIn the best personally. I joined Facebook last year under duress. You, you name it, I'm out there. I do a lot with YouTube and stuff like that. But if you want to find out more about me, my books, my company, whatever, go to my simply my name, scottshober.com. You could find things there. And I do have tips there that you could download for free. You don't have to buy anything. Really, I'm trying to hopefully inspire people, educate people. I've got the thousand plus videos that I've done up there, podcasts. Feel, feel free. And, and again, Give me that honest feedback and say, Hey, not just this was great and five stars, but let me know where, what I need to work on so I can hopefully improve as a writer, as a podcaster, as 
a host, you, you name it, because I'm here to hopefully help and, and teach people and, and learn from you at the same time. So thanks oh. for the, again for the opportunity and great conversation with you. Oh, you're welcome, Scott. And so with that, Techamane Presents family, thank you as always for listening. And be sure to tune in next time when we'll have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends, and thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.